Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Yes, hello, who am I? My name is Chris Adams. Uh, I'm Mr. Chris Adams on Twitter, so no points of originality there. I am, as you can see, I have a background working as a developer or a designer, as a product manager, and in general, I've been an environmentally engaged nerd for quite some time. Um, I also spend some time working here in the ODI, and I've been called the ODI mascot, which I, I think I quite like, actually. You know, it uh, makes me feel like I, 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 belonged, I, I belong here somewhat. So um, why am I talking to you, and what kind of credentials might I have working here? Or even talking to you about, well, environmental data and any of this li- anything like this? Well, um, I used to work at AMI. AMI stands for Avoid Mass Extinction Engine. It was uh, a venture-backed environmental data company set out with a mission to work out the carbon footprint of every single thing on Earth. Um, They realised that's probably quite a large thing to do and they've scaled their mission back. Uh, Now they're only trying to work out the footprint of every single company on Earth to to provide some kind of insight for supply chains. Um, At uh, Loco2, that was another company I was very involved in the set- setting up of, uh, well, as you can see, making trains as easy and cheap to book as planes. So that involved a lot of like, scraping and UI design and well, uh, trying things which we didn't, we have never really tried before and worked out okay. I've also worked at a company called Warn Again. And uh, what we did was we worked with companies like Virgin Air Balloons, with uh, Eurostar and other, and actually McDonald's as well, but don't, but don't hold that against me. Uh, to turn basically waste streams into cool things like either uh, in nice apparel or bags or things like that, so fashion wear. Um, I'm doing some work with Provenance, who are again on the kind of supply chain uh, story to, to let people understand where their products come from and what was actually involved in making them. And uh, the other thing is, I've set up something with a friend of, well, with a number of people called CleanMob UK. And that's generally, it's for, that's what I'm going to talk about very briefly before I go into. Saving the world with data. All right. So, uh, CleanMob UK. That's the URL. Uh, the site will be quite a bit. Pr- hopefully, should be quite a bit prettier soon, which is why I'm not showing you the ugly version of the website at present. Um, and uh, this is a kind of <coughs> slightly clumsy but working kind of description of what we kind of see CleanMob actually is. Uh, CleanMob innovators use web technology to fight climate change and build a more sustainable and resilient future. So it looks like well. Gen- people like this gentleman here are uh, working to either build new apps. This guy is called Jorge uh, Zapico. He's actually written a PhD on um, green hacking. And uh, he's a very, very interesting chap to, uh, uh, to speak to. He actually lives in Sweden and has now moved to live in the forest. He, uh, he's taken the whole green living quite far now, but he uh, is, is still an inter- interesting chap. Um, the meetups we tend to do, we tend to have lots of happy people coming along to these. And uh, we, t- we basically work at the intersection between the web and sustainability. So... All these people here, some of them are developers, some of them are sustainability professionals, or people like, like, like so. Uh, what we also do is, um, by having these kind of meetups, we let people meet each other, uh, hence the term meetup. And uh, we then, in many cases, people end up creating companies out of this to try and make a dent in the reality, I suppose, and do something useful with the skills that they have here. This guy um, is James Johnson from Open Utility. He's in the process of trying to build... Um, Basically, an open market for people to sell the to basically put things like renewable energy on their roofs and stuff like that, and donate or sell that power to their neighbours without having to go through the national grid. Uh, it's well, kind of really exciting, fun stuff. He was um, pitching uh, tonight as a practice for his uh, next 
uh, the following day at a real uh, event where there was lots and lots of people who were prepared to give him lots of money to kind of, well, grow his company and move from there. Uh, but I'm going to just take us back to uh, the question. Um, Catherine asked me this, and uh, without really thinking too much about it, I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll answer that question. Um, that's quite a big question to answer. Uh, I'm just going to give you the kind of skip to the end, uh, too late, uh, skip to the end version, which is, here's what I think the answer is. Timely country-by-country country CO2 emissions data reported as often and with the same rigour as GDP. Uh, why CO2? So I'm just going to go for a bit of audience participation here. Does anyone recognise this graph? Okay, so this is uh, the Keeling curve. This shows uh, basically CO2, uh, the, the what atmospheric CO2, as you can see there, the, um, the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere over the last, well, 50 or 50 odd years. And you can see the general trend that it's heading in. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that most people are kind of bought into the idea that climate change is actually happening, so I'll kind of skip past this, uh, this one here. Um, why does this actually matter? Why, why does CO2 increasing matter? I mean, what effect does it actually have? Uh, rather than talk and talk, kind of bore you myself, I figured I'd actually pass the question on to one Hans Rosling, who I was seeing speak fairly recently, and also just because Hans is incredibly watchable. We're going to try video here. I'm not sure if it's going to work. Let's see. If <coughs> this is going to work. It's all very powerful. Yes. Can you guys this hear anything? This is polarized 1980. The average of those years. This was the polarized now 16 September. I love this site. National Snow and Ice Data Center, Denver, Colorado. The old good civil servants of the government of the United States of America. They are really independent and they are good. And they update every day. This summer, every day I've gone to this site to follow how the ice is melting. And it's melting faster than ever. The skeptics, the climate skeptics was one thing that the projection was wrong. It's now melting faster, not so, slower. So, Hans Rosling, he's saying it's melting faster. And uh, the effects of this, I realise that the next slide could be a little bit misleading. You think you melt something there and then something happens straight away, but that's not the case here. But these are, this, is, this is basically, we, we are seeing kind of changes to our planet. And uh, in the UK, we're seeing stuff like this, which isn't ideal. I mean, normally I'd be pointing to Bangladesh or other such countries, but... In the last week or so, we've had some really, really, really well, just incredibly dramatic imagery of what's happening just to the UK and especially to the south. Of, uh, to, to, to the south. And you've got to ask yourself, well, how are we responding to this existential threat uh, that's going to affect our way of lives? Um, one approach we seem to be doing is, oh, great, the ice is melting. Let's, let, let, let's build a shipping lane. So we've now, got, we've now got a shipping lane running through from uh, Shanghai through to Rotterdam. And uh, we're now seeing this boat here is Yongsheng. You, this is the first of uh, the cargo sh ships to be going through this, mul the, this, this melting ice. And we kind of, the, 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 the reaction that we're seeing in many places seems to be just like shrugging and getting on with it, really. And um, this can be a bit depressing, actually. So we see uh, Hans Rosing saying, well, as you can see, so financial downturns are the only thing that seems <coughs> to be having any real effect on it so far. Um, environmental policy doesn't seem to ha doesn't seem to be having any anything like that. And then if we go to the UK, uh, we look at what's happening with our current uh, well, well, well words are used by our Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. So he was on a panel uh, with uh, James Dellingpole. Has anyone just hand show of hands? Who's heard of James Dellingpole here? Okay, so 
he is a you know he's a, he's a Telegraph co- co- columnist who's basically made a name for basically denying the existence of climate change and uh, you've got to wonder like he's saying this and I kind of feel that he how can how it's really hard to imagine that you can get away with saying this stuff these days uh, in, in in face of all the evidence so you've got to want so it's very easy to be discouraged by a lot of this actually you've got to ask yourself well what is there to do and how can we help uh, well, what, what is there that, that we can do with data for this? And once again, I'm going to cheat a bit and I'm going to refer to Hans. Uh, just to give you some background, um, this was a keynote given by Hans Rosling at the Open Knowledge Festival uh, in uh, Helsinki uh, in 2012. All right, so here we go. One thing that you have to demand carbon dioxide data. This open data is not the data which exists there and open it. You have to demand that it's compiled. We get economic data per quarter, we get unemployment data every month, and we have a delay now 2008 where carbon dioxide emission. And I'm alone demanding this. Al Gore has given up. I have long discussion with him. He has given up. We have estimates by the great civil servants in the government institution in the United States of America. I used to be nasty to USA, let me be good when they are going good things. They do estimate. Countries should report, and this is not more difficult than GDP per capita. We have to fact them. We can't be so emotional about coal and polar bears and nuclear. We have to be much more fact-based on it. And I think you can do a great job in that. We are too much on the detail level. We don't make the big, we make symbolic things on detail level. That's good. I also use a bike now. I go by train as much as I can. But 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 we have to have the macro situation of the climate and get that right. It's very very fast. I'll show one more. I have to show one. More. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the last one. That's the last one. Yes, I know because, because it's a scary one. They were trying to kick him off for half an hour. <laughs> this this is uh, you will go after this. You will go uh, one more. Uh, is it, I never understand why PowerPoint do this sometimes. <laughs> I talk with Bill about it. <laughs> he just says, I no longer work there, he says. <laughs> there. The blue one is here. This is the melting of the ice. Huh? But the, the scary one is this one. This is the extent of Arctic sea ice extent in August 79, 2001. The blue line is the estimate of the climate panel of the United Nations. You see the result this year. So I did it like this. Perhaps this is what will happen. But this line also fits quite well. Because the ice is getting thinner. This is interesting with indicators. We can measure the area of the ice. That's very easy. It's well done. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is the volume of the ice. And the reason why it's now melting something is that it's getting thinner and thinner, and that's something we don't know. We don't see that. So actually, this is changing. And then we know that, that when this melts, and I'm not an environmental guy. I've been resisting this as long as they, they convinced me in the end, the, the researchers, not the activists, the researchers. Yeah? And, 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 and it's getting thinner, and then it will absorb more sun. Yeah? So what we know now is that the climate scientists don't know. They have a very, very, they are not demographers, for God's sake. They see that something very nasty can happen, perhaps not so nasty. It's very important that you have data full of this and that you do you do great job with this and then put demands on it. And in your countries, our country should report 
Sweden have promised now next year they will report in April for this year. We still not, don't know last year. So next year we will, we will get in April. We have to get this together and we have to have a data-driven discussion of energy and resources. OECD, it's a shame. It's a democratic institution. They sell the energy database. Go there. Let's go there and, and, and liberate it. You know what database we use? British Petroleum. Because they gave it free. It, it, it. So, uh, I could watch him all day. He's just really, really entertaining. Uh, uh, you might have seen at the beginning, he was um, sh explaining population growth using piles of toilet paper uh, before. Uh, it's, if, you, if you haven't seen it before, I'd really, really recommend watching it. He's, well, he's just great fun to watch, really. Uh, but coming back to the subject at hand, BP is giving us the, day, the open data we need to understand about um, national emissions. Uh, we have uh, a mi our own minister is basically denying that climate change is taking place. And uh, things generally aren't looking particularly encouraging. And uh, I think if I ended it here, I'd basically ruin all your lunch times. <coughs> and uh, you and wouldn't really, I uh, wouldn't be a kind of particularly good outcome for the date. So I started looking around for like some kind of glimmer of hope, something that made things look a little bit better. And uh, I've, uh, I realised that I've been kind of giving the government a bit of a hard time so far. But um, there, is, there are encouraging signs from there. So we had Hans talking about how that we have, environment, we, we have CO2 emissions being uh, collected, but they're woefully out of date, or the frequency of, of, those, of that collection is just terrible. But to be honest, in the UK, things are actually getting quite a bit better. So uh, what you're looking at here, these are the quarterly emission statements uh, are from, by the UK government for, Q, for quarter three, uh, 2013. So basically, the UK's uh, CO2 emissions figures are now lagging three months behind GDP which is a lot better than 2012 to, 20, to 2008, that, like, we, like we were seeing with Sweden and other, companies like, uh, other countries like that. And, uh, I was asking, I was, and uh, to be honest, there is a, it's, I mean, I'm showing the UK. Um, the US is also another country that's doing quite well, well about this. But it's not as, uh, it's still, it, it's still th this idea of kind of quite uh, common and, and uh, high-frequency reporting is still quite low. Uh, but people are paying attention to this now. So uh, I'm just going to talk to you briefly about uh, something a website called Carbon Tracker and uh, this idea of the carbon bubble. So uh, we have this figure of uh, two degrees uh, that, we need to, that is, is generally accepted by well, the international community that we need to stay below. And uh, we have a figure that we, so we, we need to, we've got that eight, a budget of maybe 886 gigatons that we can actually burn between now and was it until, until 2050. And you can see that We've gone through a fair amount already. So that tiny black dot is uh, what we've already burnt. And you can see that small grey one remaining. That's our budget, really, what we have left. You see here on, on the right, well, on my right, yeah, yeah, and on both of our rights. <coughs> is it my right? Yeah, it is. So that's... <laughs> it's confusing me back and forth. Uh, so these are all the reserves by um, basically all the publicly traded companies like well, on, on, on the stock exchange at present. And I don't know about you, but from whatever angle... There's far more proven reserves there than uh, than that the, the would fit into that small bot into into that small circle on the left, and um, these reserves are what are, what are currently just priced into um, a given a given a given company's share price. And uh, the general idea here that these guys are, p are pushing here is that well, companies I mean uh, uh, oil companies and uh, companies involved in the kind of uh, in in the extraction and uh, burning of, uh, of fossil fuels are massively overvalued, and uh, this is. Well, dangerous and, rep and, and, and represents 
it's just a, there's a massive disconnect in, in, in the community here and, and, and also in markets. And we're actually seeing, so there's a conversation about the fact that, oh, hang on, we have this, this limit, what can we do about it? People are actually starting to use some of this data for this. And I, I basically came across this news recently in, in January, which I found really, really encouraging, made me feel slightly, like the situation was slightly less hopeless than it was a few slides ago. So Norway has a huge sovereign wealth fund, right? So almost a trillion, uh, so $815 billion fund. They're a big investor in BHP Billiton and, and other, uh, other, other companies based around the extraction of fossil fuels. And uh, they're basically looking to divest from that. So when the largest sovereign wealth fund on the planet is looking to divest from fossil fuels, things start to look, you know, that's quite a big market, a signal to the market. And they're, they're, it suggests that there is something like light at the end of the tunnel or something, you know, there are some cause for hope at least. And uh, I think this is why I'm, I, I'm really keen on seeing uh, CO2 emissions being, repeat, being well, just recorded and published uh, much more common. And uh, I, started, I started looking for this and thought, well, if this is a, cool, if, if this is a really encouraging sign, where can I find out uh, about the rest, of the, uh, uh, the, the, the rest of the countries of the world and what they're doing here? And uh, there's a website called Open Data Index run by the Open Knowledge Foundation. And uh, what they do is they have something like an open data census. So they look at all the data sets that, data sets that are being released by a given country. And uh, I was looking on here and, uh, well, you can see some companies doing pretty well out of this, but... There's no mention whatsoever of CO2 here at all. And it seems like it'd be a really, really good thing to actually have, tra- have, have put on here because generally whenever you have any kind of scoring mechanism for people to compare themselves against, if something's on there, then at least it gives you a target to be working towards. And I figured, well, it'd be really nice to see something like this. So that's kind of why I think that CO2 emissions are quite an important thing to actually have. So when Catherine asked me, what open data do we need for a cleaner, greener world? I could give you a shopping list of cool data sets that would make, that, that would, that would make things better for, for lots and lots of companies. But uh, if I said that, um, I don't know how much of that is going to be retained in a 15-minute talk, and it's quite hard to communicate just that one thing. So I'm going to try and stick with a single answer, which is timely country-by-country country CO2 emissions data reported as often and with the same rigour as GDP. So that's kind of me. I know there's loads of other data sets out there, and I'd really, really like to kind of throw the floor open to everyone else now. And uh, yeah, and ask you the question, what do you want to see released uh, and what would be helpful to you? So yeah, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.